today on Ag News Daily. Um, as I've done more research uh, and as we've done research, you know, seeing some of the benefits to soil health, soil fertility, um, there certainly are some strengths there. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and we are catching up with our great friend, Terry Johnston, in just a little while. But until then, I'm Delaney Howell, joined by Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney. I tell you, it is a wet, wet, soggy day across most most of the Corn Belt right now. There won't be a lot of planting progress made for the next couple of days, but there certainly was over this last week. Delaney, do you have planting progress numbers handy? I do. Let me pull those up. We'll just do the the big numbers here because the the big numbers are beans were at 23% planted and corn was at 51% planted, which is pretty fast. Yeah, both consistently or considerably, I should say, over their five-year average mm-hmm. and obviously well above last year when we was trying to get planted in the muddy swamp. So this comes back to that conversation we had with Ted yesterday. <laughs> Excuse me. Hope that's not coronavirus. Of, uh, <laughs> People, you know, maybe putting more corn acres in the ground or at least not putting as many bean acres in as some of the trade had estimated earlier in the season. This weather, granted, it could be changing now. Who knows? But uh, growers, growers certainly have made a lot of progress in the past four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And you think after a year like last year, they're probably just going to try and get it in as soon as possible, even if conditions aren't 100 percent ideal, because there could be some concerns that, hey, maybe we have a turnaround and we can have some wet weather that prevents us from getting in the field. So if I were a farmer right now, I think I'd just be like, get it in, get it done. Let it not be my headache anymore. I'll tell you, you know, it's every individual and every operation is different. Delaney, I was speaking with a friend of the podcast from up in uh, South Dakota, and he said earlier last week there was a couple days where they could have gotten in and um, gotten some field work done, gotten a couple of fields planted, but they held off because they were looking at so much prevent plant on their other acres. And then last night came down with 2.2 inches of rain. Everything is a muddy swamp. And he said, you know, I'm glad I saved the fuel, glad I saved the seed, saved the time it's looking like it's all going to be prevent plant this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think you are right there. But Mike, to talk about some big headlines for today, there are really two that jumped out at me. The first is that the USDA has announced a hundred million dollars for American biofuels infrastructure. This is to help boost the sale of renewable fuels. And they're giving out essentially grants to U.S. ethanol and biofuel producers who have been affected by COVID-19. This is kind of their olive branch or their goodwill, if you will, because we didn't see biofuels included in any of the bailout packages, care package, whatever you want to call it up until this point. Yeah. And frankly, again, from this administration, they have consistently said one thing about biofuels and then done the exact opposite and thrown them under the bus. You know, you look at the help that was proposed. Nothing has been uh, written in stone yet. But the help they proposed for the oil industry was buying barrels of oil and then finding ways to store them. Uh, Basically, they were going to buy the product and uh, there was talk of storing it back underground. You know, if they would consider doing such a thing for ethanol, literally buying the gallons of ethanol, that would be a help that would resonate through the ag sector. It would help improve basis at ethanol plants. It would encourage these plants to get back online. Granted, just writing them a check is certainly better than nothing, but it does not go beyond the ethanol plant's door as far as helping the broader ag sector, which is really where ethanol shines. So, I mean, I, 
I have been consistently, and I've mentioned it on the podcast, disappointed by uh, the Trump administration and how they have handled issues. With this is one more way that, yeah, it's something. And, you know, they seem very happy to just cut a check to agriculture, but it does not a whole lot, I think, to strengthen the actual industry, whereas, you know, their help for oil, geez, they're bending over backwards to try and help the oil industry. And Delaney, mm-hmm. we've got oil news today yes. because crude oil prices rally for the second day in a row, and really they're building off of last week's rally as countries, particularly European and Asian countries and states, uh, are starting to open up. We are starting to see gasoline demand. Obviously, there has been some cabin fever set in uh, around the world, and as folks are being released from their government-mandated quarantines, they are hopping. And that is improving gasoline demand, which is trickling back up the sector, and improving crude demand. Um, we did see Brent crude oil, which typically is the more expensive. This is the uh, the North Atlantic oil, uh, trading at thirty ninety seven a barrel earlier today. But West Texas, which is the contract that was trading negative just 10 short trading days ago, is now trading at $24.56 a barrel. So that is up from that last Monday's low, gosh, 37 plus 24, what is that, 60-some bucks? 60-some dollar turnaround in 10 trading days. I think we'd love to see something like that in any sector of agriculture. Yeah, and you know, it definitely is a comp- competitor of ethanol, but it also does help ethanol to some extent to see people getting it back out there and driving, using oil. Hopefully, the increase in price in the oil market also pulls up ethanol or corn with it. Um, but wait, wait and see for sure. Yeah, and it certainly should. You know, we need a higher gasoline price to build margin back in to make ethanol competitive. So it's on the right track. That's for sure. Well, in other news, this was the other big headline that had jumped out at me today, Mike, and that is looking at the meat industry. A bipartisan group of state attorney generals has asked the the Justice Department to open an antitrust probe into meat packers, including Cargill, JBS, Tyson, kind of the big four, which control about 80% of U.S. beef production. They said they have concerns that these beef processors are well-positioned to coordinate their behavior and create a bottleneck in the cattle industry. This, I think, uh, goes along quite nicely with a conversation we're going to be having tomorrow with a rancher in Nebraska, Mackenzie Johnston. But it seems that cattle farmers are making their voice heard, and that is trickling all the way up to state attorney generals and now the Department of Justice. Yeah, and I would say that a... uh a probe like this is probably good. Hopefully, it will help put ranchers' minds at ease. Mm-hmm. But our good friend of the podcast, Dr. Jason Love, recently published a, a very interesting, uh, I, I guess we can call it a rebuttal to the Packers are conspiring theory, which you know, is basically that Packers are losing money too. They are not seeing any adventure yeah box beef is over four hundred dollars a box or a hundred weight that's huge i mean that is those are prices that have never been seen before in history but at the same time if the packing plant is having to spend a ton of money in making itself you know coronavirus safe and reduce the number of put partitions in between its employees put ppe on every employee find ways to pay employees that are out sick while they shut down the plant and deep clean everything you know the packers are and i think we saw this yesterday with tyson's earnings call you know they're still losing money so i mean this coronavirus thing it's not like it's bankrupting the cattle feeder and making the packers rich 
the Packer is probably just getting poorer, slower. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way to put it too, Mike. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating throughout the entire sector. I know we would all love to see some dollars flowing back into agriculture. But while we're talking meat, Delaney, do you go to Wendy's very often? You know, Wendy's is one of the fast food chains that I will eat at. Absolutely. I mean, they've been a, a great example of how flavorful beef can be for quite some time. However, if you are planning to go to Wendy's over the next couple of days, be warned. 20% of Wendy's restaurants are out of meat products, uh, particularly they are out of fresh beef. Product, They're not able to dip into any stockpiles, and the disruptions in the packing industry have left them uh, particularly at the mercy of consumer demands. So as of uh, earlier today, this was a report that was put out by a company that surveys online menus and basically looking to see what's still offered by these restaurants. They found that 18 to 20 percent of Wendy's stores are no longer offering any of their hamburgers or other beef products. I'm not sure what you're going to eat then, to be quite honest. Well, I mean, they still have uh, they got good chicken nuggets, I think. Oh, so the chicken nuggets and chicken products are still going to be available, just not beef products? It sounds like so far it's the beef products that are being affected. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well... The other big headline for today, Mike, on my end, is trade-related. The U.S. and the U.K. are meeting today via video teleconference, and they are going to forge ahead on a free trade agreement. And fingers crossed, but U.S. ag is expected to be part of that conversation as well, as uh, they're really anticipating that the British markets could open up for poultry, pork, and other U.S. commodities. But, you know, maybe right now is not the best time to send those products overseas because we're having some supply chain issues already as is. Yeah, yeah, we certainly are. But, you know, free trade deal passed overnight, so they can start discussions now while nothing can move. Maybe by the time we've got to this coronavirus thing under control, the deal will be signed and we can start shipping some stuff over there because China might not be a buyer if uh, President Trump has his way. I, that is very true. Very true, Mike. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting the Ag News Daily podcast, I'm actually helping out with Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's episode, we talk with the new chair of Iowa State University's Department of Animal Science, who also happens to be the host of RFD-TV's popular Doc Talk program. We also chat with Iowa Farm Bureau President Craig Hill, who fills us in on the most pressing needs he's hearing directly from farmers as he's conducting listening sessions around the state. You'll also want to check out a special one-on-one -on -one interview we did with Senator Chuck Grassley on April 27th, featuring his latest insights on current and future COVID-19 relief. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, I am all out of news other than the markets. Should we jump in and see where prices went today? Let's do it. 
Well, let's take a look. We've got some uh, green on the screen here in the grain markets that move higher in crude oil. Definitely seem to put a little wind under the sale of the grains. In corn, the July contract was up one and a half cents to 317 even. December new crop up a quarter penny to finish at 334 and a quarter. In soybeans, July was up three cents on the day at 839 and a half, while November new crop was up three quarters of a penny to close at 846 and a half. Uh, in the green, but barely. The July was up one and a quarter cents at 520 and three quarters. December up one and three quarters to close the day at 532 even. Now we couldn't find those positive winds of change in the livestock sector. Cattle were down a dollar sixty, one forty six forty seven half. August down sixty cents, closed at ninety two forty five. In feeder cattle, the August was down seventy two and a half cents at one twenty eight twenty five, while September was off thirty five to close the day at one twenty nine forty five. Losses also in the hog complex. The June lean hogs down July down two dollars fifty cents to finish at sixty two ninety two and a half. Yesterday saw a big rally in the dairy market, and that was continued today. Not necessarily month. May class three futures were up four cents at eleven fifty four. However, the June was up sixty five cents to close the day above thirteen dollars, finishing at thirteen fifty nine. Without further ado, let's take it over to our good friend Terry Chuck. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, very excited to be joined today by Terry Johnston, who has been on the podcast before, but it's been quite some time and has a new position with AgLogic as their Director of Sales and Dealer Development. Terry, it's great to catch back up with you. It is indeed, Delaney. Thank you so much for having me. So, Terry, you have been in the ag tech space for quite some time. You've made this recent move to ag logic. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what brought you up to this point. Yeah, very excited to, to be on the ad, ag logic team, Delaney. Uh, yeah, so I came to a, I was invited to a dealer meeting uh, by a, a friend of mine uh, to learn more about ag logic and in particular their yield igniter project, uh, product. And uh, so uh, I attended the meeting and, and learned more about it um, and was very excited to, to uh, hear about this uh, product and uh, its ability to help improve plant health and, and uh, benefits to the soil. And of course, um, uh, like AgLogic, uh, I have a deep desire to help growers get better at what they do and help improve their bottom line. Um, and so, uh, this seemed to hit all those uh, buttons. And so I was really excited to have an opportunity then uh, here in March to join the AgLogic team. And, and I'm really looking forward to being on board here. Before we get into really the, the nuts and bolts of Yield Igniter, the product, Terry, that you're excited about, give us the update on AgLogic as a company. Where are they from? What do they do? What's the background? Yeah, so AgLogic uh, started out as a distributor of, of the Yield Igniter product uh, back in 2008 and um, have been working with the product since then and, and recently in the past year had the opportunity to actually buy uh, the Yield Igniter product and then also take over the manufacturing process. So we built a new facility here in Conrad, Iowa and are now manufacturing uh, Yield Igniter and a couple other products here now. Uh, so that just gives us an opportunity to, to, uh, to really uh, help the product grow and, uh, and get the word out to growers about the many benefits that, that uh, Yield Igniter has. So Terry, let's talk Yield Igniter. What is it first and foremost? Yeah, so it's a, it's a proprietary uh, 
blend of humic uh, fulvic acids along with a little bit of NP and K. Uh, and we, we have, a, we have a, a, a patent on the extraction process as well as the blend. And so um, there really isn't another product out there like it. And I think it, it makes it more effective than some of the competitive products just because of the, uh, the secret sauce, if you will. So, Terry, is, is Yield Igniter a liquid product or a, a powder product? So it is a liquid product. Um, uh, we, we are working on um, a, a dry version also, uh, but it's a product that can be applied uh, in, in uh, a number of different ways. So you can broadcast it, uh, you can put it on in furrow, um, or probably the most popular way of doing it is just putting in the uh, first uh, post uh, plant, uh, uh, post emerge uh, treatment and uh, putting on as a foliar. That seems to be like, based on our research the past 10 years, uh, one of the most effective ways to uh, apply the product, Mike. And I'm sure that you have done a ton of research before launching this product for commercial use. Tell us about what you saw or what the company saw, because you weren't there when this was happening, but what the product did for corn and soybeans when used. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, it, you're right. It's about a, a, a 10 or 11 year um, path that uh, AgLogic has been on with this product. Um, back in 2008, when, when um, Chad Calloway, uh, our managing partner here, and, and some of his partners saw the effectiveness of humic and fulvic products, uh, and they saw uh, the benefits of applying Yield Igniter, uh, they started doing research then uh, in a number of different ways. First of all, uh, with the, the USDA ARS, basically wanting a third-party, non-biased opinion of how well does this product actually work and what are the results and the benefits of that. So uh, they started back in 2009 uh, and have renewed uh, their agreement with them several times and have discovered a lot of great things, uh, in, including a yield increase on average of 7.6 bushel on corn and, and three bushel on beans. So um, to have a product that consistently works, uh, that's, you know, that's great for plant health and good for soil health, and helps increase the bottom line. Um, you know, it's just one of those uh, products that they, they felt like they, they really uh, wanted to bring forward and learn more about. And, and that eventually, of course, led to uh, most recently uh, 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 us purchasing uh, the, the manufacturing and, and distribution rights of the product because we, we just feel like there's, there's a long way to go with, with this product. Now, Terry, one of the things that you've touched on a few times already is the improvements to soil health. When over the course of the 10, 11 years that uh, you guys have been doing the research on this product, have you noticed a compounding factor? Is it multiple year usage? Does it result in a better soil profile? Yes, Mike. Actually, uh, in fact, we're not the only ones that have researched this product, and it's been a lot longer than 10 years. So um, as I've done more research uh, and as we've done research, you know, seeing some of the benefits to soil health, soil fertility, uh, there certainly are some strengths there. Um, uh, things like uh, reduction in compaction, um, increasing water holding capacity, um, uh, increasing microbial activity, um, you know, so which has a lot of benefits. And so, uh, and we're starting to do some more research around um, um, being able to reduce uh, other types of inputs to increase soil health because we're using this product. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're really excited as we learn more uh, about the, the, you know, the plant health and soil health benefits of, of some of the, not, not only the short-term plant health and yield increase, 
benefits, but also the long-term benefits, as you pointed out, with, uh, with soil health. Harry, you guys have been a, a company for quite a few years, but what has the process been like to commercialize this? Well, it's already been a product out on the market, so what have you guys been doing to distribute it to farmers, and, and what are the, some of the feedback that you're receiving from farmers that are trying this on their operations? Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of positive feedback um, uh, from the use of the product uh, and applying it in multiple different ways to actually multiple cr crops. Um, this, this product not only um, uh, provides good results on uh, corn and soybeans, but also on other products, um, uh, pasture uh, and hay among them. So um, we've seen some very uh, uh, interesting increases in production in, in all the crops, actually. Uh, and also because of the characteristics of, of humic fulvic acids um, when applied foliarly um, really help increase the, the, the benefit of whatever other products you're putting it on, whether it's fertilizer or in the case of uh, herbicide, for example, it, it, it helps the plant absorb the product quicker uh, and, and improves the efficiency and effectiveness of of herbicides, for example. So based on what our farmers are, are learning uh, when, when applying the product, it, it has a lot of benefits and we're really excited about that. So Terry, let's talk about some of the benefits. And this is another one you've mentioned a few times, but it's, it's tough to see in this environment. How, how can Yield Igniter help improve a producer's bottom line when we continue to see corn prices drop and you know, we've got farmers just struggling? What's the incentive to apply another product in an environment like this? Yeah, so um, uh, we talked a little bit about the short-term and long-term benefits, you know, of applying a product like this. But first of all, you know, the cost, the ROI uh, uh, cost um, versus uh, yield improvement is is one of those things that not only, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that a grower can spend money on to improve yield, but doesn't necessarily improve profitability, if that makes sense. In other words, if you spend uh, $10 to make five, um, that's not a good use of, of, of resources. And so we're trying to get uh, growers to, to rethink uh, not just increasing bushels, but, but uh, increasing margin. So um, we're working, in fact, this year with a nitrogen uh, study with the use of our product. In theory, uh, we believe that, that in using Yield Igniter and the, the uh, growth promotant and the other benefits of the product, they'll actually be able to reduce some of their other inputs uh, you know, for nitrogen, for example, uh, and maybe even uh, be able to reduce or eliminate some of their herbicide fungicide uh, because of the uh, plant health benefits of the humic and fulvic acid. So we're, there's a lot of things that Yield Igniter can do to not only just increase yield, but hopefully improve profitability, Mike. Terry, certainly congratulations on your new position. But before we let you go, if our listeners are interested in learning more about this product or just AgLogic as a company, where can they do to find more information? Yeah, so um, they can certainly check us out on uh, social media. We have a, a Facebook page. Um, we have a, a, a website, which is yieldigniter.com. Um, they can contact us an email, uh, sales at newaglogic.com. Uh, a lot of ways to find us. Of course, a lot of people know who I am and uh, uh, on my social media presence, they're certainly welcome to reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, be happy to talk more, share more, uh, and help folks learn about the benefits of Yield Igniter. Fantastic. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining today. 
Indeed, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Delaney and Mike, for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you to Terry. Great to see him moving on and doing some interesting things. He's always been a good supporter of the podcast, so we certainly appreciate having him back on. Absolutely, folks. Check them out. And while you're on the Internet, check out the Ag News Daily website. Go to agnewsdaily.com. Get connected with all of our past episodes and the other podcasters on the Global Ag Network. Or send us your shots, send us your pictures, send us your thoughts, I should say, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily and let us know what's happening in your part of the world. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.